0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Before we get into the message, we continue with our catechesis. Today, uh, as part of the Ten Commandments, study lesson from the small Catechism, we hear commandments number nine and number 10. "Thou shalt not cover your neighbor's house." Thou shalt not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his donkey or his ox or anything that is and belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? It means that we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or by any way get it in a way that only appears to be right. Likewise, we should not entice or force anyone or anything that is important to our neighbor. Rather, we should be of service to our neighbor. Coveting, people ask what that is. It's a sinful desire of our hearts to acquire for ourselves anything that belongs to someone else. We crave other things in order to keep up appearances or to look for happiness and satisfaction in something new. These commandments remind us that covetousness is a form of ingratitude. A form of ingratitude that tempts us to disobey all the other commandments, thereby damning the situation for us, as it were, doubling down on our disobedience catechesis. Very important, even though all of you have probably been confirmed at one time and know all the Ten Commandments, I dare say that we don't know the depth of those commandments very well. It occurs to me that in our English language we have developed a whole bunch of little idioms, I guess you could call them, or little proverbs, you know what I'm talking about, those those pithy little sayings that uh, purport to offer sound advice about traditionally held beliefs or traditionally held truths. I can think of a few of them. A bird in the hand is worth two in a bush. I don't know why you want a bird in your hand, but I, or why they, you want the two in the bush either. But it's out there. Opportunity did not knock until I built the door. Sounds reasonable. Don't blow your own horn. Don't toot your own horn. Don't blow your own trumpet. There, You name it. It's several different variations. A bad workman always blames his tools. Boy, is that true. Talk to any mechanic. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Or as I heard it in my day, you can lead a horse to water, but a pencil has to be led. That makes more sense to me. A stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> what nine? <laughs> and why? Cross your T's and dot your I's. Pretty sound advice. And one that uniquely fits with today's gospel. As you sow, so shall you reap. The gospel lesson for today is the middle one of a trio of parables that Jesus is speaking privately as he instructs his disciples in the last week of his life outside of the temple. In fact, right outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, where he spends his waning hours preaching and teaching to his disciples, preparing them for what lay immediately ahead, obviously, His death on the cross, his suffering at the hands of the Roman soldiers, his mockery of a trial, his carrying a beam all the way through the city up to the hill of Golgotha, the skull, in the pain that he endears and endures for all of us. Jesus is also preparing them for the role that they would have as stewards of his gospel message moving forward after that week. He also wants them to ultimately see what's going to happen when he does come back again on Judgment Day. Today's lesson comes right after the parable of the ten virgins, which we also might call the parable of the foolish of the and it comes before next Sunday's parable of the sheep and goats. Next Sunday then becomes the last Sunday of the church year. These parables, all one on top of the other, call and direct our attention to the Lord's second coming, even as it lead, they lead us into the season we know at the start of the church year is called Advent. That word Advent is Latin, and Latin is called Adventus, and it simply means coming. But it does symbolize the very present situation of the church, that is Christ's body on earth, during these last days. God's people wait for the return of Christ in glory, even as they are being led into the expectation and the anticipation of Christ's first coming in his birth at Christmas. So it's not surprising then that our lessons at this time of the church remind us that there will be a time of judgment for the living and the dead. Or to borrow that pithy saying again, people as you sow, so shall you reap. Today's parable tells of a man who left on a long trip and then returned at a later time. And while he was away, He entrusted his wealth, his property, to three servants. When he returned, he called these servants before him to give an account of what they had done with his wealth. The man in the parable is easy to understand who that is. That's Jesus, right? And Jesus is about to leave on a long trip, isn't he? A long journey that starts in just a couple of days on the cross, Or he will hang and die for you and for me and for the sins of all humanity. And after he has paid for those sins, he will rise from the dead and he will ascend into heaven. This parable then illustrates our lives. That is the body of Christ on earth during the time we wait for him to return. But that's not all that this text tells us. That's not all that it leads us to hear. It illustrates some other things for us that are important for us to hear and understand. The parable that we speak of, the man in this parable entrusts this massive amount of property, not to strangers, but to his own servants, his followers, if you will. That's an important distinction because the fact that he entrusts them, not to strangers, but to his own people, tells us that Jesus wants us to consider those people as believers. They're his followers. Or as we might conceive of them today, they are members of his body on earth. Congregation members, if you will. And what do we know about the general makeup of members of any congregation? They all proclaim to be Christian. They all proclaim to be believers. But fact, even as Judas was a member of Christ's congregation, a follower, a disciple, It's clear that we know that all who claim membership are not really members, are they? Not all. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Very clear what he says here. Not all of the servants will get to the kingdom of heaven. Likewise in our parable, not all of the servants were faithful, were they? With a little or a lot. In the parable, Jesus tells his disciples that the man gave the servants property, each according to their ability. That property here is money. To one servant, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. And to a third, he gave one. Now, Don't get caught up in the wealth piece of this. Yes, a talent in those days was worth 7,300 denarii. And a denarius, one day's wages. So if you get all caught up in it, the guy who has a five is given 100 years of wages. The one who gets two gets 40 years of wages. The one who gets the one gets a full two years of wages. It doesn't matter. They're wealthy. They get an enormous amount of money. He entrusts to them for the sole purpose of returning an investment according to their ability. What we need to understand here is not to focus on the five or the two or the one, but rather each servant is entrusted with a fortune. What would have been a fortune in those days? That's the important piece to hear. Because in the first part of this parable, Jesus is illustrating the absolute fortune that God gives to every one of us. We're rich with the gifts that God gives us. We're filthy rich with the gifts he gives us. The differing amounts that he gives us simply means that each of us has a unique set of gifts. He gives those gifts to each of us so that we can care not only for ourselves but for those around us, our family, to others, to share our gifts. Not share more because you have more, just share. Most importantly, he gave us Jesus who earned salvation for all on his suffering and death on the cross. When you think about it, God's gifts to us are beyond anything we could ever measure or even imagine. And he gives all those gifts to everyone. Not just one who has unique talents and gets more. It's not about the money. It's not about the numbers. Because in fact, every single thing you have in your life is a gift from God. As those who have been enlightened by the gospel, called by God's grace through baptism into the kingdom, you too have been called to be faithful stewards of his gifts. Your time, your ability, your treasure, they all belong to God. And he gives them to you that you might use them wisely, not foolishly, to glorify his name and to serve him by serving others. Two of the servants in this parable did exactly that. They put their stewardship to work. They invested and made a return. The third one, on the other hand, dug a hole, buried the entire talent, hid his master's money. And when the master came back to settle accounts, think about Jesus. Didn't he say, I'll be back one day? And doesn't the Bible tell us that we all will have to have an account and make an account. When he came back, he went to these folks, Two of the servants received a reward for their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Ultimately, their reward was being called into the presence of the Lord because he says, enter into the joy of the master. Can it get any better than that when you're told to step in and enter the joy of being with God? That joy is the Christian's entrance into eternal life. It matters not about the amount that they were entrusted with. The value is the faithfulness of the investor, the faithfulness of the servant. The third servant, like that opportunity, did not knock until I built the door. This third servant had the same opportunity as the other two. You and I have the same opportunity in our life to use the gifts that we are given. This guy didn't build the door, he didn't even hear opportunity knocking. Like a bad workman who always blames his tools, this guy blamed his master. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. The third servant tried to blame his own failure on his master. The master's words in response, therefore, don't contain the word joy, does it? The servant heard this sound of judgment. Not only you are a wicked servant, you are a slothful servant. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Go to hell. That's what that is. Fancified with weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about hell. The outer darkness for everyone who does not use their talents and gifts in the way that God would want, who does not really truly believe in God. The servant failed in his responsibility to be a faithful servant and steward of what the master entrusted to him. And even more damaging, do you really think he knew his master. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. He did not know the master at all. He was the one who did not sow. And therefore he was the one that would reap his reward, the outer darkness of hell. Here Jesus warns of both the joy of the Father for those who are judged faithful and whose reward will be great in the kingdom of heaven and of his righteous indignation over those who claim to know him but who have not been faithful with the gift to which they have been entrusted. And if you were listening to David earlier speak in the other two texts, you might have heard Some more references to the terror of the Lord, similar to what this third servant had. The Old Testament reading from the prophet Zephaniah speaks of wailing, punishment, plundering, waste, bitterness, ruin, devastation, darkness, gloom. And that's just in the first nine verses. The epistle lessons from Paul, his letter to the church at Thessalonica, warn of destruction and the labor pains of childbirth. Clearly, the Lord wants you to know that on the last day, some people are going to stand before him and rejoice like the faithful servants. They will praise the Lord for all the things they were able to do because of the Lord's gifts. The others... Like the third servant will stand in terror. Because two judgments await all of us in the accounting of the last day. One is the joy of the master, the other is the terror of the outer darkness. Now, having said all these things, as hard as they are to hear, some people hearing this today, whether you're at home or Whether you're here or whether you're going to tune this in sometime later in the week on YouTube or whatever, it might be sending a chill through your body. It might make you squirm a little in your seat or fidget on your couch this morning as you relax with your coffee. For some, it might make them question which servant God will judge them to be on the last day. Questions might fly through some heads. Am I going to be the one who returns nothing to God on the last day? Am I the one who will be cast out into the outer darkness like the man in the parable? Have I done anything at all in the kingdom of God with the gifts God has given me? If I were to stand in front of Jesus today, would he consider me a faithful servant? Some of you might even start to think about ensuring that you have crossed your T's and dotted those I's. After all, when you and I entered the world, we too were like the servant who stood there in front of the master in terror. King David understood that. What did King David say? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Nothing good there, is there? Paul points out, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Later he would say, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Where would you rather be, in the flesh or in the spirit? Thankfully, God has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who atoned for the sins of the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, not be thrown in the outer darkness, but have eternal life. If you say you know God, then you know that God does not desire your terror. Instead, he loves you with the Holy Scripture, the holy precious blood of his Son poured out in his innocent suffering and death on a cross. Jesus brought into this world a love that was priceless, a love that would cover all the grievous and burdensome costs of sin, a love that would suffer death and eternal damnation so that the debt of all humanity, all humanity, would be paid in every sin. Every sin would be forgiven by God. You may not realize this, but in your baptism, where the Holy Spirit created faith in you, He brought Christ's generous love and forgiveness to you so that you might live in joy, not in terror. That you might become like the two faithful servants who rejoiced in the presence of their master, not cowered in fear. That you may enjoy his presence in your life even now through stewardship to others of his gracious gifts according to your own individual ability. God calls you To a life of service for the sake of the kingdom. He says that you should deny yourself and take up the cross and follow him. He says that you should love your neighbor as yourselves. He says that you should feed the hungry and clothe the naked. He says that we should tend to the needs of others. That we should bind up their wounds. The wounds of the afflicted. The wounds of the downtrodden. The wounds of the forsaken. God richly blesses each of us with gifts that are unique to us. Gifts which we are not supposed to hide. Gifts that we are not supposed to bury out of sight or out of fear that we somehow might lose what God has entrusted to us. We are not to wait until the last day to uncover our gifts, return them to God in the same condition He gave them to us. Please note that your service to God does not earn you a place in the kingdom. That gift is already there. That ship sailed when Christ died for you. God does, however, give you a gift, variety of gifts. At the same time, he gives you that place in God's kingdom. To borrow another pithy saying that actually does have some merit when truth to it, when it comes to the gifts from God, use them or lose them. Those who rejoice in the coming day of the Lord will readily use their gifts to profess their faith, to share the gift of the reconciliation with God that others might know, that others might see that their gifts come in the same place, ours do. So, what are your gifts? Do you know your gifts? Is yours a gift of time? Or a gift of talent? Or a gift of your treasure? Maybe you need to write down your gifts, make a heading. Time. Talent, treasure. And then write them down. So but but remember this, this is a cute little thing, but remember this. Every time you write that your time, talent and treasure, every time you mark that T and cross it, what have you just done? You have made the sign of the cross, my friends. The cross is in the time. It's in your talent. It's in your treasure. So just a loving reminder that no matter what category you put all your gifts, all are a blessing from the loving God who gave his son on that cross. God would love nothing better than to say to you on that last day, well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Amen.